hold hands and close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 84, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How are you doing, Ian? I'm doing great, Brandon. How are you doing? Well, I'm good, but I had this this really unpleasant reminder the other day. A reminder of? That the sun still exists. <laughs> you should actually be grateful for that, but okay, please do go on. Well, I'm intrigued. I mean, overall, I suppose I am grateful for this because bikini season is coming. But no, oh, Lord, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I went for a walk to, uh-huh. to, you know, get my bulk moving. And when I do my my walks in the day, I just go to a nearby field and I just do laps, right? Because, I, you know, there's enough people on the street. I don't need to be clogging it up unless I'm going to get something. People are so gross. I, just, I get it. Also, yeah, people are super gross. Yeah. So I go to the field doing my thing and we're going to gloss over the fact that I was passed by this guy jogging the field about 400,000 times <laughs> and the judgment in his eyes. Every time that bastard passed me, I hate those people. Oh, I'm telling you the cumulative judgment I received over the course of that, my own walk yeah. from this goober means that when I finally face Anubis at the end of it all, <laughs> I will be able to look into his cold abyssal gaze with no fear. Well, and wouldn't you think like if he's really judging you, wouldn't it be more like, hey, buddy, good for you. Not, yeah, you faster, get out of my way. <laughs> oh, you'd, you'd think. You'd, you'd think. think. You'd but think. But no. People are jerks and <laughs> these are the times we live. <laughs> but anyway, so apart from that, Gomer, I, I'm out there doing my thing, you know, walking around. Right. And I, I, I just, you know, about half hour, 45 minutes worth of walking around the field, back and forth across. It's a big field. Right. And so time to pack it in, start walking home. And I think, boy, my neck feels funny. Uh-oh. Why does my, oh shit, sunburn. <gasps> right. No. I forgot that this giant light in the sky also can, you know, sear your flesh off. Are you and serious, so Brennan? You got a sunburn. I'm, I got a sunburn. During quarantine, here at the end of the world, <laughs> I still managed to get a fucking sunburn. That's fantastic. So it's not spooky, but it is scary for entirely different reasons. And pretty damn funny, actually. Yes. Well, I'm sorry about that. I hope uh, I hope you heal quickly and you can lie down on a pillow and all those good things. <laughs> it's not the worst sunburn I've ever had. It's, it's fairly mild. Okay. I, I, okay. I won't tell that story now, but there was one time when I, again, forgot that the sun does Existed? what it does. <laughs> yes. And I got very drunk and it went very badly. But again, story for another time. Story. Yeah, right. That's funny. Speaking of stories, we have a great lineup of listener stories on this episode, including one that really, I don't know, we're finishing with it and something about it. We'll talk about it more when we get there, but something about it touched this really primal fear I have and actually even kind of touched on a nightmare I had shortly before reading the story. Yeah. So I'm really, really looking forward to getting to those. Before we do though, we have a musical guest and it's actually returning musical guest who has uh, submitted a track to us that has never been released anywhere else. So that's cool. We're very cool. We're very lucky. That is Chris Amott. Chris, of course, uh, 
guitarist for bands like Dark Tranquility and Arch Enemy, has also just released his own electronic album, In Electric Twilight, which you can find at chrisamott.bandcamp.com and everywhere you stream your music. The track that Chris sent in is called Nightbirds, and it is an original composition, as all his stuff is, that was originally intended for a video game project, but mm. never quite, yeah, but it, it never came together. So he still had the track, has never been played anywhere else, and so here we are, and it seems like a, a great fit. Again, you can find more from him at chrisamott.bandcamp.com and everywhere you stream your music. Coming up after the break, don't answer the door. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, it is all listener stories. And as I say, every time we do this, we're slowly catching up <laughs> with, uh, with the present. I think we're now in December. Wow. We have yeah. leaped forward. Yes. I, That's amazing. We're, we're getting there. I did a little chat. Uh, well, I shouldn't say a little chat. I, I spent an hour telling stories with Dan and Emma from the podcast, Real Life Ghost Stories. Oh, nice. A week ago. Yeah, and one of the things they mentioned is that they're so backed up on listener stories that their auto response is just says, don't expect to hear your story for at least six months. Wow. And I thought, you know, maybe that's not a bad idea. Yeah. Because we are about that far behind. Well, and we keep dashing people's hopes. Like, I feel so bad. <laughs> there are sometimes I think when I put the script together and I see the names, I think, I don't even know if these people listen to the show anymore. <laughs> you know, maybe they said not. They sent us a story and thought these sons of bitches don't want to don't care enough care. about my tale to put it on the show. Well, <laughs> you can die in a fire. <laughs> That's funny. But rest assured, we we do read them and wherever possible, we will use them. But as I mentioned, we are about eh, five or six months behind. So just as long as you have the patience, we would love to hear your stories. Send them to ghoststoryguys at gmail.com and we'll talk about all the other contact info at the end. Before we get going with those stories, though, you have been on the receiving end of some really fascinating local stories. I have. Yeah, there's been um, two that have come through. I'm, I'm part of a couple of, you know, sort of local lore groups on Facebook. And one of them was highlighted and sent to me specifically about one of our local parks, Topaz Park here in Victoria. And the park was originally part of a school ground for uh, S.J. Willis School. The school shut down and then it found new life as kind of a, um, an adult education center, I guess you'd say. You could go and get your GED kind of thing. But it's also been a place where um, some of the homeless people can camp in the lower part. But I keep hearing stories, generally how uncomfortable people are there. And no one's ever really used that park. You never see people hanging out in it. You, you pretty much just see homeless people there and, and not even for that many years. You know what, this, just to yeah. jump in real quick, Topaz is really fascinating to me because you know how I'm drawn to places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Are a bad idea to be. Yeah. And I, I'm we're... repelled by them, but you know, that's cool. <laughs> it's because you have a better survival instinct than I do. <laughs> you will live much longer. Provided <laughs> your body doesn't, you know, well, my body will give out completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, for some reason, Topaz is like a giant black hole to me. Interesting. I never remember to go back there. I drive past it a lot at work doing food delivery. Right. Because I tend to deliver uh, sort of up in the hillside area. And for whatever reason, I just can't seem to 
stick in my like I, I'm barely aware of the place. I barely even look at it. Right. And that's really unusual for a place with me. Yeah. I, you know, especially true. a place that's that's got mojo. So I do kind of wonder what is what is unique about Topaz. I don't know. The the story that was shared was from someone who had camped there at one point. Right. And uh, she had been there with her boyfriend. And he basically, it was almost like he'd gotten possessed. Uh, he got very aggressive. He got very nasty. He ordered her to go and get him something from a store. And she did. And she came back. And she was confused and upset and all the rest of it. And when she got back there, he was still really out of sorts. They ended up basically fleeing in the night because they heard noises and they felt something around their tent. But when they would look, there'd be nothing there. And they felt really uncomfortable. And at the end of it, her boyfriend felt, he said he felt like something had almost possessed him. So obviously a concern. The background of the story was he had several crystals that he kept with him that he felt protected him from evil. And he had left them at a friend's place where he'd been doing laundry. He'd forgotten them there. So he didn't have his crystals that night. And that fascinates me that he became the victim of this thing because he is not the first person to complain about being harassed or feeling certain feelings in this park. Um, this is pretty well known now, which is why it is less than popular um, as a place for homeless people to camp because there is something that they all talk about that is not right about that land. And I wonder if, you know, we've talked about intentionality quite a number of times on the show about no matter what sort of religious path you're on or, or whatever, if your intentionality is behind it, whatever it is, it will work. Right. And for, and for him, his intentionality was to protect himself from evil with those crystals. And he was very aware that he did not have them. So I wonder if something saw that vulnerability in him and just went for it. You know, it's interesting you say that because that was very much my thought when you sent me the story the other day was that there, there may be, aside from whatever physical properties the crystals may have, if there right. is sort of a psychological vulnerability yeah, yeah, that, exactly. that allows this to happen. And, and it, correct me if I'm wrong, was Topaz Park not also where a num uh, one body was found about a year ago? Right. And I believe another body was found recently. And I think from there have been a couple people missing now from that encampment. Oh in wow! Tobaz. Oh wow! I, I I seem to recall seeing this on the news. So it, it's a uh, yeah, it's not a great area. Well, now here's the kicker because of course everyone loves a good ending. S.J. Willis School is built on the same site as the prison that was here in Victoria, where the last capital punishment took place, I believe, in the 1960s on Vancouver Island. Really? Uh, and that, yeah, that's they in used Tobaz. to hang people. They used to hang people as capital punishment in that prison, and it is on the same grounds as Topaz Park. Oh, wow. Right? I had no idea. I know. Me neither. It was shocking. Well, shit. Okay, then. That explains so there you go. Thing. There you go. So that was exciting. Oh, yeah. Now I want to go check it out. <laughs> of course you do. It's dangerous and possibly deadly. I, I can see the attraction. I'll go under cover of night so I don't get a sunburn. Perfect. That sounds like such a good plan. You should maybe take with you some um, possessed objects. I think that would be really helpful. Oh, yeah. And, and put my headphones in so I'm unaware of my surroundings. Headphones in, no lights, and just wander around the field. Let me know how that goes. I, I can see nothing wrong with this. Good. I'm so pleased. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> you call me whenever you get free. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was gonna, when I get free. Yeah, when, when I'm reborn. <laughs> the three-year-old in India calling you. <laughs> and uh, before we get to the, the main segment, you actually had another story that came in from a different school here in Victoria. 
Yes. Um, the school, uh, Spectrum School, which is probably our largest regional high school here in Victoria area. Somebody posted a story about a friend of his who worked there as a janitor and had often felt, and he, I believe he worked there as well, and both of them had often felt a, a kind of an evil presence in the lower level down by the theater. A lot of times people would go through there and feel very cold. Okay. And then one night he said he felt something come up behind him and just almost grab him and he couldn't move. He, it wasn't that he didn't want to move. He literally could not move. And he said it was like an electric current going through him. And then oh, wow, as, that sounds familiar. as quick as it came, it released him and he just got the heck out of there and they won't clean down there by themselves anymore. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So that's not good either. No. And coincidentally, we have a story about a haunted theater. Are in well, this week's there roundup. you go. So it's almost like we planned it. <laughs> we, di- we didn't because that would require a level of organization we do not possess. But We do not possess. Well, thank you for sharing those. There you go. You're welcome. I'm glad I actually remembered to pass them on to you because the irony is we don't actually talk about ghosts a whole lot. <laughs> no. No, it's usually food. Food, uh, life. Um, yeah. Things that are happening for us, our feelings. We talk about our feelings a great Gross. deal. And yet uh, something cool and haunted happens and I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you. In fact, you brought it up to me and said, you should share that thing about Topaz Park. And I was like, What? <laughs> so yeah this is the way we roll this is yes. the way we roll all right well now on to the stories our first story is from denise And Denise has also sent in stories from earlier in life, which we featured on a past episode, so Denise knows how to tell a story. In 2008, I moved from Australia to Alberta with my husband and two-year-old daughter. We bought a 110-year-old house in a small town, and I didn't think anything other than it was a nice house with some pleasant character features. In the first year since we've lived here, I have, while in the undeveloped basement, heard my name being called upstairs by my husband. Once I was up there, I discovered no one was home. So I called him at work and he answered the phone. When I told him, he said he had heard me call him from downstairs when he was upstairs. I was also out of the house at the time. One time, my daughter and I came home from an outing and my daughter, being a toddler, rang the doorbell because she likes to hear the sound. We both heard the words, come in, and she exclaimed, daddy's home, but no one else was home. My daughter, when she was three, would also tell us of a little girl called Suri who would talk to her from the basement through the furnace vent. I've seen shadows at the bottom of the stairs. I've seen shadows through the crack in the door. In the kitchen, we have a wrought iron dog dish with two stainless steel dog bowls. They are big, very heavy, and make a certain sound when we scrape them across the floor to clean underneath. Both my husband and I have heard the sound of them moving across the floor late at night. We've lived here for nearly 12 years now. And every now and then I hear muffled, disembodied voices and sounds I can't explain, like tapping or scraping. I really don't pay much attention. However, I do sometimes speak to whatever I feel in the house, and I use the name Martha June. I'm not afraid of whatever lives here with us, but I still experience sudden sadness in both old and new buildings and dwellings. I'm so glad I found both of you, Ian and Brennan, because before I did, I felt quite alone with all of this. My husband is not really a believer, as his work is quite grim, and I think that's enough for him to contend with. Good story, Denise. Thank you for that. 
Yes, thank you for sharing that with us. And we're happy that you feel comfortable enough to share it with us. And you know what else I'm glad about? That her husband has a reason for not wanting to deal with it. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like, that sounds stupid, but... No, no, not at all. I totally... Yeah, I respect that. Well, we we hear so much about spouses who just dismiss these things out of hand for no reason other than, well, this is easier. So someone who's, you know, they've got enough going on in their lives. I I can sympathize with that. Absolutely. 100%. Yeah. I remember when I was first interviewing people for my book, A Strange Little Place. Oh my God. How did I know that was coming? I think I forgot to do it last episode. (gasps) What? I know, right? Should I mention my book, Victoria's Most Haunted? (laughs) Sold everywhere else? (laughs) Yeah, edit yourself out, asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes, Victoria's Most Haunted, the book I cannot escape from. Back when I could go into stores, (laughs) that fucking thing would be everywhere. It's even in um, the drugstore right down your street. Did you no, know that? I'm, I'm well aware. I've, <laughs> I've, it's right on the way to the post office, which I have to go to all the time to send patron rewards. And there's your goddamn book staring back at me. Being successful and shiny. Meanwhile, my book is harder to find than certain noble gases. Like just, <laughs> Jesus. But anyways. That's awesome. Uh, I interviewed a, a woman who, sadly, she'll have to remain nameless, but she told me a story about the house they lived in. And the she said it was absolutely haunted. The landlord, who they called Crazy Ronald. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and he, and he was. Uh, he told them it was haunted. He knew. And her brother is the one who had the experience. Who And he was a, a deep skeptic. But she said that she thinks the reason she didn't have a story is because she, when she walked in the house, she felt it. And she said, look, I have got enough going on in my life right now without having to deal with your shit too. Oh, so wow. just back off. Wow. And consequently, she said she never had an experience. Wow, that's awesome. So, yeah, there, there may be something to that, to just saying, nope, back off. We're not doing this. <laughs> that's really cool. Uh, coincidentally, while you were telling that story, I, I had a message come in from uh, a friend of mine in Kamloops. I've mentioned him on the show before. And he has uh, sent me a, a message from his friend. And I have to be kind of vague, but this morning we were woken up by a rapid soft tapping noise. Just Uh-oh. like in Denise's story. At first, I wondered if it was a woodpecker on our house somewhere. Then it stopped. Then it started again. So my wife and I got out of bed and walked toward our bedroom door. We sleep with the door closed. I reached out and touched the doorknob and the tapping immediately stopped. Again, could be nothing, but the fact that, uh, you know, it's repeated, it doesn't seem to be connected to anything outside. And it stopped as soon as he got near the door. Kind of reminded me again of, of what Denise was just talking about with her place. And the little girl talking to her daughter from the basement through the vents oh honey no just put a bed over it or something <laughs> oh no we fill the basement up with concrete that's that's what we do we move the furnace upstairs and we fill the basement with concrete and we never speak of it again this story comes from gus i was listening to episode 68 and the story about the cat creature reminded me of an experience i had a few months back i had been working all day with my dad and as usual drove us home first though i had to drop off a friend of his the drive was always normal go for 40 minutes, drop the worker off, and go home. But this time around, there was a single difference. I could see a huge black cat every so often. When I say huge, I mean a cat the size of a terrier. I would see it around corners at storefronts and occasionally in the windows of other vehicles. I finally got a good look at it when I got to the street my dad's worker lives on. The cat was sitting in the middle of the street, and I stopped so it could move out of the way, but it just stared at me with its big yellow eyes. Then I heard my dad asking why I stopped, so I told him I was waiting for the cat to move, but he told me there was nothing on the street. 
I didn't feel anything coming from it. No evil, no benevolence. Just a cat that seemed to follow me around. Thank you for that story, Gus. Phantom cats. I got to tell you, though, I, I am not strong enough a person to see something like that while someone next to me doesn't see it and not become convinced that my brain is slowly breaking apart in my skull. Of course. I totally that get would, that. Yeah, I remember a long time ago when I had that experience with a shaman, um, which I've, I think I told on the show a very long time ago, and I'm not going to get into here because it's quite long, but I asked him why I didn't see more of these things because I, I told him about the shadow men I'd seen. Right. And he said, well, you only see what you're capable of taking in. And he said, if you saw something, it, does it scare you? Yes, very much. Well, yeah, there you go. Uh, he said, you you filter what, what you can handle. I, I believe that. I mean, it's it's actually true with... um. Okay, so this is going to get weird and a little bit sad now, but when I was like 19... Isn't that the subtitle of our show? Weird and a little sad. Yeah, yeah. the subtitle of my life. Um, <laughs> you said it, not me. I um, I was going through some counseling for some childhood trauma, and I suddenly... I'm sitting with a friend of mine who is also doing counseling as well, and I had this sudden realization that my dad was quite abusive, and it it dropped on me at 22 years old. My mom knew, right? Right. And I went to the counselor and I said, why, why would I not know this? Like, why did it take this long? And, and on this sort of steps towards healing, why would it suddenly come to me, this truth? And he said, that's actually really normal. He said, because your brain protects you from truth you can't handle. He goes, you try and tell eight-year-old Ian that, you know, dad is violent and mom knows and isn't doing anything. Right. Holy, that was heavy. To have it explained to me that way was, well, your brain will only let you um, see what you can handle. So yeah. it ties in perfectly with what you're saying. No, absolutely. And on the subject of spooky things, well, first off, I mean, thanks for sharing that. That's that's deeply personal and I won't make fun of you for it at all. Thank you. For, for a change. <laughs> but it, it made me think about how I've had very, very few sort of uh, paranormal experiences since the, the turduck and hammer came down. Right. And I think it's because I have no bandwidth left in my head. I was going to say, you're at, you're at your edge, right? You're, yeah. you're just at your edge and there's nothing left. And that, yeah. yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Our next story comes from Mariel. I come from a very religious family that seems to always have weird experiences. To start things off, this is my less weird story. My great-grandmother was diagnosed with cancer in 2018. She wasn't afraid of death, saying she has lived a fulfilling life. Every holiday and birthdays, we would go to her house and celebrate. The one room in her house that always made me feel weird was the bathroom. It had a distinct smell and a clock with an evident ticking noise. When my alarm went off at 8.30 a.m., I woke up and my bedroom smelled like her bathroom and I kept hearing this ticking noise. I told my mother and she said it was probably because I was thinking of my grandmother. That evening. At 8.30 p.m. to the second, we got a call telling us she had passed. I had a similar story when my aunt died of cancer. She was a smoker, and I woke up to find my room smelled of smoke. That evening, at the same time to the minute, we got the call telling us she was dead. I honestly didn't think anything of it, but the more I thought about it, the weirder it seemed. My second story is about the neighborhood I grew up in. It always had odd vibes, but then some messed up stuff started happening. My next door neighbor saw a woman, a stereotypical white dress, 
long black hair apparition with a body that seemed to fade from the knees down. The neighbor, of course, told my parents, but everyone just assumed he was too tired to be thinking straight. We still saged the house, though, just in case. Later that month, my neighbor across the street started seeing the same ghostly figure. Streetlights started randomly going out, and more people were seeing the woman. Our neighborhood had a sort of grassy area, with bushes and a tree on the side that separated it into two pieces. Everyone called it the island. The tree was cut down one day, upsetting everyone, but the woman seemed the most upset. More stuff started happening, but no one put it together that the woman was somehow attached to the tree. She was seen floating around the island as if she was stuck there. Our street was actually a big circle with two roads that lead out of it on either side. Circles trap things, and this circle had trapped that spirit. But we had many skeptics until one of them called a neighborhood meeting at their house. They showed us a picture from their front door security camera, and that is when everyone was convinced. Ever since then, things have continued to happen, but no one is scared. If the spirit was here to hurt us, it would have. So when we were listening to music on the radio and it started skipping, my sister started getting fed up and yelled, Can you just stop? And the radio went flying from the counter to the other side of the room. That's the only time since the cutting of the tree that the woman seemed upset. Well, thank you for that story, Mariel. Although mm-hmm. Mariel was not her real name. That was, uh, that was a story that needed to be anonymous. And that's always an option. As a reminder to our listeners, if you have a story you want to tell, but the details are identifiable or various things, just let us know. We can change the name. We can even change the, the gender of the person telling the story. We've had to do that before. Uh, always an option. I'm actually not even named Ian. I'm a 19-year-old girl. Uh, and then I have to get off this podcast because I have a court order against me. <laughs> I said 19. I still have a court order. <laughs> oh, it must be really bad then. Moving on. <laughs> this story comes from Gabrielle. I have always been called witchy by friends and family. I grew up in a haunted house. My great-grandparents built this place, and there were a few family members that have passed here. When I was 17, I woke up to a shadow man standing over me in the middle of the night. It woke me up because I felt as though I was being watched. I propped myself up on my elbow, looked at him, and said, I don't have time for this right now. I've got school in the morning, so you need to leave. And at that, I rolled over, turned my back to that thing, and went to sleep. Now, when I was in my late 20s and living there with my daughter and my husband, who was abusive, I believe a lot of the negative energy brought things out. Doors and cabinets would open and shut on their own in front of us, and believe me, I'd try and find a way to rationalize it. One day, I was paying bills in our family room, which was separated from the living room by an extra large door with a baby gate. My three-year-old daughter was watching Dora, being a little too quiet, so I poked my head out into the hallway to check on her. As I did that, I saw her turning the corner down at the end of the hallway towards my bedroom, so I got up to go get her. But when I could see into the living room, I saw she was still watching Dora. Whoever that was, wasn't my kid. About five years ago, my husband and I took a trip to Bisbee, Arizona with another couple. We live in Arizona, so it wasn't a far trip. The friend reserved a B&B, and we were all looking forward to it. We didn't know anything about the place, meaning it wasn't advertised as haunted in any way. If it were, the husband of the other couple would not have stayed. We got in late, so we all headed to bed, my husband and I taking the back bedroom closest to the bathroom, the other couple taking the front bedroom. I woke up to the kitchen cabinet doors being slammed. I remember thinking, it's too early for this shit. Why are they being so loud? 
So I got up, opened the door, looked left towards the kitchen, and nothing. Dark, quiet, and empty. I stepped back into my room, shut the door, and took a deep breath. I walked into the hallway and said, Okay, I'm up now. I've got to pee, and you're not invited into the bathroom. I need privacy. A while after, I started making coffee, and here comes the other couple. He looks like run over shit and says he heard the kitchen chairs sliding around all night. Then every time he started to fall asleep, he felt something or someone grab and shake his feet. The first time he thought it was my husband, who was just like a 43-year-old Dennis the Menace, so he crawled down to the end of the bed, but no one was there. The following night, my husband got a great idea to hide in his friend's closet, and after he fell asleep, he'd jump out and scare him. Yikes. My girlfriend and I were supposed to stay up and get it on camera, so at 10.30 or so, he said he was going to bed, hid in the closet, but his friend didn't want to go to bed by himself. While we were sitting in the living room trying to convince him to go to bed, we heard running, then watched that bedroom door open and close all on its own. This made the friend that was supposed to go to sleep really not want to go all by himself. My husband was waiting in that closet for almost two hours by this point, so my friend went to go get a blanket and check on him. She said he was awakened okay and we couldn't figure out why he wasn't doing anything yet. Now all these noises went on for another hour, and so did my husband sitting in the closet. I was getting tired, so I went to bed and wasn't in my room for more than 10 minutes when I heard a bunch of noise in the living room again. I went out thinking my husband finally scared him. Nope. Again, the bedroom door opened on its own, hovered halfway, and slammed shut. I knew the place was haunted and said it's just a ghost. They just want attention and you're giving it what it wants. Open the door and tell it to stop. So he opened the door and there stood my husband. He had taken off his shirt and wrapped it around his head to cover his ears. At first we were all laughing, but then we heard what he was saying. It wouldn't let me leave. He said that over and over. My husband had no recollection of my friend going to check on him. She looked directly at him and they made eye contact. And he said that every time he tried to leave the closet, there was a force that prevented him. And a voice in his ear that would say, you can't go. And that's why he took off his shirt and wrapped it around his ears. I've never seen my husband like I did that night. And I never have since. That's terrifying. It truly is. Although that is I, terrifying. I think what may be more terrifying is just the whole concept of this prank. That that is that's the kind of prank that gets someone a murdered, b heart attacked. I mean, jump you jump out of my closet while I'm sleeping. It's not going to end well for any of us. Oh no, I would no. That would never even occur to me to do that to anybody. I remember, and I may have told the story on the show before. I fell asleep one day in the afternoon. I think it was winter time, and I woke up in the dark because again it was winter and. Right. I thought it was the morning because I just I was completely discombobulated and I was woken up by the fire alarm or the smoke detector, I guess. Right, right. So I thought something was on fire. So I immediately jumped out of bed in total darkness and started charging towards the door because you know, I got to fix this, whatever this is. Well, I ran full steam into the closet door because it was dark mm-hmm. and destroyed it, destroyed it. That closet door is no longer a closet door. <laughs> It turns out, no, it was about 6.30 at night. I just had a nap and Nick was cooking dinner. And that's why the smoke alarm went off. Oh, no. <laughs> and so she heard this crash from the bedroom, comes in to find me having obliterated this door, thinking to herself, why did I marry this guy again? <laughs> a question she asks at least once a day. Oh, at least, at least loudly <laughs> too, I might add. But anyways, yeah. So I just imagine if someone tried to pop out of my closet and terrify oh, no, me would not from sleep, well. no. I just, yeah, I just imagine there'd be paste everywhere and a murder charge in my future. Mm-hmm. I hear you. 
seriously, the, the actual story itself is really chilling. Like the this idea that, and I think we were talked about this, is that sense that you can't move. No, no, I'm not like, cool with that at all. Like something is preventing you from leaving. But if I knew the place was a little bit hinky, I would never put myself in that position, to be honest <laughs> with you. Yeah, that's a good point. And it seems like, you know, at least according to her telling of the story that, uh, you know, the, the, the one fellow as, that was part of a group would not have taken part either had he no. known. No, no. And, exactly. and I'm the same way. I generally will not stay in a haunted location if I know. Yeah. I yeah. mean, uh, Nikki, Nikki would love to do that. She talks about that sometimes. And I'll always say, nope, nope, because I know exactly how that's going to go. You're well, going to sleep really well, and yeah. I will be up all night tormented well, I, by whatever the hell is walking around that place. Yeah, and I mean, I've um, ended up in places that are haunted, and I deal with oh, it. Yeah. You just sort of deal with it. But would I go to a specifically haunted hotel to stay in a haunted hotel? Oh, hell no. I'm good. Our next story comes from Chelsea. One of my earlier experiences has to do with the house my dad spent most of his teenage years in. When he was 15, my dad decided to take his leave of his parents' home and move in with his cousins in a small beach town called Port Dover. Many strange things took place in that house. From his aunt's religious needlepoint pictures swinging, to seeing your breath in your bedroom at night, voices caring with nobody else home, human apparitions, objects move, strong smells, the sounds of change dropping everywhere. Ghostly parties downstairs late in the evening, you name it, the house probably did it. Despite the home being an absolute creep show, my dad cherished his years growing up there and took some keepsakes from the house when all his older relatives had passed. One of the things that he collected was an old Raggedy Ann doll. <laughs> Bad plan. This doll used to sit on the top shelf of my closet when I was a child, and I can't tell you how much I despised it. Dolls freak me out. This particular doll brought with it reoccurring nightmares that always felt so lucid, so completely real. I would drift off to sleep in my bed and snap awake to abruptly notice that the doll had gone from its place on the shelf. In my dream state, I was always unable to move, feeling stuck with my arms by my sides, but also filled with dread. Suddenly, a man rises out of the floor dressed as the doll. He was always smiling looking disheveled and dirty, and would lean closer to whisper nonsense in my face. Gross, right? I have no idea what his deal was. I would just try to squeeze my eyes shut if I was able and force myself awake. I told my parents about the dreams, which continued until they finally relented and took the doll out of my room. The dreams then stopped. Later, my parents decided to rent a heritage home in our town on the outskirts of Toronto. The house had one closet upstairs and my bedroom, a big, beautiful upstairs bathroom, a spacious kitchen with a door to the backyard, a split living room, dining room, and an unfinished basement. One night, my parents had some of their close friends over for dinner and drinks. Their girls and I were playing GameCube and hide-and-seek in the dark upstairs. Someone decided it would be a brilliant idea to bust out the good old Ouija board as an after-dinner activity. While cracking jokes and treating it as a hokey game, someone asked for a sign from any of the ghosts lurking in the dark corners of our home. And our backyard door promptly opened and slammed shut, setting off our burglar alarm. We did have some good experiences in our home, though. I distinctly remember one night years ago when my mom and I were having a good cry about missing her brother-in-law, my uncle Keith. When I was young, Keith passed away from a not-so-well-known disease called hemochromatosis or iron overload. Towards the end of his life, I remember him always wearing Vicks Vapor Rub. As we were talking about him and hugging one another, it was suddenly all we could smell. 
We scoured the house and couldn't find any whatsoever, but the smell was everywhere on the top floor. I like to think it was Uncle Keith checking in on us and reminding us not to be sad. Finally, to our most recent townhouse. We have lived here for 12 years now, and I'm currently 26 years old. I spent the majority of my angsty teen years here, which likely contributed to some of the activity in the space. This is the house where I've had my few experiences with shadow people. For a little more than half of my high school, I felt as though I was at war with my parents. They hated my boyfriend, they didn't understand me, and they couldn't handle their only child dating someone who was so manipulative. He isolated me from my friends and family, and frankly, looking back, I don't understand it myself, but those were dark times, and we were all filled with anger, confusion, and resentment. The house was strange upon moving in. The people who owned it before us had carved symbols on the doors and closets painted a lot of the rooms extremely bright colors, and even for the open house, made a no-show of hiding the nook built off the furnace space with a mattress on the floor and a lock outside the room. We spent a lot of time and effort making it the place it is today. One day I was riding the bus with said hated boyfriend when I pointed at the nearby graveyard. That was apparently a big no-no. His family was very superstitious, and he said that I had just done a very disrespectful thing. I wrote it off as him being silly and thought nothing of it. That night, I fell asleep with my TV on at about 1 a.m. and was startled awake by the sound of my closet doors violently shaking around 3.30 in the morning. My cat shot off my bed with a hiss and left me to fumble with my bedside lamp. I pressed as close as I could to my headboard and profusely apologized in my head. When I turned on my lamp, the shaking abruptly stopped. But to this day, I still sometimes hear tapping in my closet. During this tumultuous time in our lives, I had the pleasure of hearing an angry voice accompanied by my two sightings of people in our home. Our townhouse is at the back of the little maze-like complex, facing the path that leads to the drive-in entrance. One night I was coming home in the dark, having just got off the bus, and I was making my way to the front door. My bedroom faces the front of the house, and from the pathway there's a clear view of my bedroom. As I trudged up the laneway, I saw a freaking shadow figure standing in front of my window. It was tall and large, with arms held at its sides and no discernible features. It was just standing there, staring at me. No, thank you. I stood outside and paced on the phone with a friend until I looked up, and it was gone. On another occasion, I'd come home late at night and quietly made it to my bed, leaving the door cracked open for Ruby, when I heard someone hiss, Get! I flipped over quickly to face the door, with my stomach in my throat. Every time I looked quickly in the hall, I thought I saw figures crawling up the stairs to the hallway landing. I was paralyzed with fear. In the morning, after finally finding sleep, I looked in the hall and noticed scratches on the walls. I couldn't tell you if they were there or not before that night. In the house, I also have always hated the feeling of my parents' bedroom. I always feel as though I'm being watched, and it's not a welcoming sort of feeling. Recently, I had a dream of a ghostly, faceless-looking girl sitting in my mum's reading chair every time I investigated the dimly lit room. Gross. Once I came home to find a little kinder egg dinosaur assembled and sitting on my makeup desk. Although I was the one to eat the chocolate, to this day no one has owned up to building the little toy. My dad has come downstairs in the early morning to the TV cabinet being opened and the TV being left on. Sometimes our lights will flicker in the basement. I think a lot of that activity in the house calmed down as we mended our hearts and became closer again. I still occasionally get the sensation of pounding on the bottom of my bed, which seems to happen when I'm a little bit sleep-deprived or feeling stressed. 
I hope you're impressed. I knew how to say hemochromatosis. But Didn't even stumble. No, no good. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that, Chelsea. And, yeah, that's um, pretty intense. Oh, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. And uh, the first thing that jumped out at me was hemochromatosis because that disease also runs in my family. You know, that's why they use leeches for a long time. Really? Yeah. Now they just draw blood off of you, like large amounts of blood. And you have to avoid all the high iron foods. But yeah, that's why they used to use leeches. Interesting. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I had no idea. It, it um, they, they speculate that this is what killed my grandmother. Okay. Because my grandmother had a heart attack. My maternal grandmother had a heart attack at 67. Wow. And she was, yeah. And, and she was in, you know, she wasn't a very healthy person, but still 67. She wasn't that unhealthy. But now that we know, because we didn't really know this at the time. Right. Because uh, she died in 1997. So, yeah, 22 years ago. We just didn't know that this disease ran in the family, but someone had genetic testing done. This came up and then, you know, this is speculated that uh, because it builds up in your organs. That's right. The the excess iron builds up in your organs. Yeah. And so we suspect this is why my grandmother had heart failure. Oh, interesting. Yes. So, so I'm, uh, it's, it's a hell of a thing, but uh, I just, I was really shocked to see someone else mention that. So I I thought you definitely got to keep an eye on your iron levels too. Yes, uh, there is a there's a particular genetic quirk you have to. I think both parents have to be carrying it. Okay. So like I have slightly high iron levels for you know like compared to most people, but not right. crazy elevated levels. Okay, good, good. But uh, yeah. So anyways, I just I was I was fascinated by that and thought I'd mention it. Very uh, cool. The other th- the other thing that occurred to me was the house. You know, she talks about moving into that house with all the carvings mm-hmm. and painting, and I kind of wonder if the previous owners of the house. Like they knew what was going on. They knew something was wrong. And they were trying to repel it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, brightly colored rooms to try and ward off, you know, because as you and I know, when you're in a place like that, things feel dark. You know, even, even on bright days, things don't feel quite right. They feel like dark and grim. Yeah. And I wonder if, if the bright colors were kind of an attempt to stave that off. Yeah. It's interesting. I know uh, a little while back I saw the movie, the grudge, the remake, and, and I know a lot of people shit on it, but I, I quite liked it. And one of the things I particularly appreciated was its depiction of the haunted house itself. Because the point of the grudge is that, you know, whenever, if you walk into this house, you're damned. Oh, okay. I've never seen it. What I thought was kind of interesting is that their depiction of the house I felt was so bang on because you and I have spent a not inconsiderable amount of time in a haunted location, which mm-hmm. was our original studio. Yep. And one of the things I really knew, I noticed about that office was when you're inside, it feels comfortable. Right. But you don't realize how much it's taking from you. You hear stories of that where people go and move into a house and they're like, the minute I saw the house, I just knew it was home and I felt so welcome and I had to have the house and, you know, and then the nightmare starts. So it's a bit of a honey trap in a way. Oh, absolutely. And coincidentally, I... I think I might have told this on the, on the show before, but I, I have to be kind of vague about it. I know someone who works in mental health down in the southern U.S., and this person is very spiritually sensitive, but in their line of work, you can't tell people that. No, you know, of course they, not. They work in the medical field. So when someone presents with depression, and by and large, it has um, biological causes. Yeah. So th- their job is to make sure this person gets to where they need to go. You know, Do I send them to a doctor? Do I send them to X or Y? That's what they do. Well, sometimes they will have someone come through and they are visibly aware that there is an entity hanging off this person and feeding off them. Oh, wow. They can see it. Wow. 
and they can't do anything about it. That's awful. And they described specifically one occasion where a woman came in and said, ever since we moved into my my dream house, her, her husband, her kid, you know, perfect situation. And she said, ever since I've been in there, I just, I, I'm so sad all the time. And I, I just, I'm scared and I'm miserable and, and I don't know what's wrong with me because this is everything I wanted and I got it. And I mean, you can also always say something about, you know, the, the danger of getting what you want, but sure, yeah, yeah. this person I know said, no, no, this was one of the few cases where there was absolutely something attached to and feeding off this woman. And it very likely came from the new house. Wow. That's crazy. I know. Right. It, it, just a, an awful situation. Cause you're in, as you said, it's a honey trap. You're in this perfect, lovely. And you know, in our case, it was a, an office that cost us almost nothing mm-hmm. in a really convenient part of town. Yeah, absolutely. And Literally connected to a parkade. Yeah, it, it was <laughs> it was so perfect. But it always took something from us, especially myself, you know, because I worked there in the daytime as well. Yeah. And I would get so unhappy and I'd forget I could just leave. Yeah, right. That's that's part of it for sure. Anyways, thank you so much for sending that into us, Chelsea. This story comes from Michael. When I was in high school, I worked in a theater in Charleston, South Carolina. This theater was old AF. It had served as a theater, a hotel, a bordello, and a theater again, which had a reputation for being haunted. Like, had been on one of those cheesy travel channel shows with bad reenactments haunted. I never saw any of those ghosts, but I did meet one. Every year, the theater had put on a Christmas carol. Different variations, but usually a Christmas carol. This year, the show was written to be as close to the original as possible. While prepping for the show, one of the union guys looked nervous and explained that any time there was a show with ghosts, the spirits of the theater got angry. They didn't like being mocked. At the time, I chalked it up to trying to scare the teenage girl. I was wrong. Opening night, the director was speaking to the audience, thanking them for their donations. As he spoke, an eerie green light bathed the stage. I could see the light booth. No one was there, and that change would have been done manually. The director paused, stared defiantly at the lights, and a few seconds later, the light went back to normal. But wait, there's more. First off, it was the top hat. Scrooge's top hat went missing as he was about to need it. I ran up to the dressing rooms, and somehow the hat had been wedged between the ceiling and the ceiling molding. To get it, I had to climb onto a chair on a desk. On a cloudless night, the power in the theater, just the theater, went out during a show. The brand new generators failed, the show stopped, and the audience had to leave. As soon as the audience had left, boom, power. And finally me. One night, I went up the stage steps to the dressing room so I could clean them. Upstairs, I closed the door behind me and pushed the cinder block in front of it, because otherwise it wouldn't stay closed. I cleaned the men's dressing room, turned the lights off, then stepped into the hallway to go to the women's. The door was open, and the cinder block had moved. I closed the door, moved the block back, and went to the women's. When I stepped back into the hall, the block had been moved again. The door was open, and the lights in the men's dressing room were back on. Again, I closed the door, moved the block, and stepped back into the men's to turn the lights off. When I was back in the hallway, the women's lights were on. The door opened, and the cinder block moved. Before I could get pissed, I felt a hand on my right shoulder. A light, cold, almost static-feeling hand. And then there was a sound in my ear, like the sound of someone going, Y'all, I booked it. Down the hall, down the stairs, and into the green room where there was just the stage manager. 
everyone else had left. So thank you for sharing that, Michael. And uh, if ever there was a reason not to work in a theater, it's that. Oh, theaters, notorious. I have yet to be in a theater that has not got something going on. Interesting. I don't spend enough time in them. I, I, I don't. Usually it's a concert venue and I'm having my brains blasted out of my head. So I don't really have time to connect with anything. No. And that's just it. And when there's a lot of people there, you also probably won't connect with anything. Or at least I don't. Um, oh, yeah. Same here. The static feeling is is interesting to me. The <laughs> idea that <laughs> you don't you don't like that. eh? No. What what about that weirds you out? The static feeling combined with that sound, like that who sound, I could oh. almost, I, I felt like I was there. I, no, no, not okay. Our next story comes from Anna. My children's father works in the oil field here in Texas and spends a lot of time in hotels and out of town on locations. Usually these locations are three to five hours plus away from home, and we don't go out much to see him at those. One lucky time, though, he got a week's stay at a location only an hour and 30-minute drive from home in Wichita Falls. So I packed up the kids and went to stay with him at the hotel for the weekend. My son was four at this time and my daughter a newborn, maybe two to three months old. We had a great weekend and nothing particularly spooky happened at the hotel or during our stay. The city of Wichita Falls, Texas is just a straight shot up Highway 287 from our hometown. There's literally nothing between point A and B on this drive but flat grassland and one tiny town with a single gas station. It's all open country under a vast black sky. I woke up at 4.30 a.m. and packed up the kids on Monday morning and set out for home. I still had to change once we get home and be at my job in Fort Worth by 8 a.m., another hour and a half drive from home. Ugh, too much driving. We'd just gotten past the city lights and had been driving for about 10 to 15 minutes into emptiness when my four-year-old son told me, Mom, there's a man running outside the car. I didn't think much of it at first because my kid is very imaginative and loves making up stories to share. I went along as I normally do and started asking questions. Oh, is he running super fast, Bug? Yes, Mom, super fast. I asked him what the man looked like, and he told me the man had super long legs and was all black. That's when I started to get spooked and began to think maybe this just wasn't just one of his stories. I peeked to my side view mirrors and didn't see anything reflected in the black glow of the car's headlights on the shoulder or in the ditch. My four-year-old kept saying, Mommy, he's a ghost, but not a bad ghost. He's a good ghost, and he wants to come in the car. I calmly stepped on the gas and sped up to 10 miles just over the speed limit. There was no way in hell I was slowing down or letting anything in our car. I decided now was a good time to discuss with my son the simple rule of never inviting anything in ever. I told him, no bug, we aren't going to let the ghost in, even if he seems nice. We never stop for or let a ghost in our car or into our house, okay, buddy? He told me, okay, and that was that. I didn't stop that car for shit, coasting through the stop signs until the sun had risen and we'd made it home. I would have written this incident off as a one-time strange incident with my kid had it not occurred again around a year later. This time he was five, and we'd gone to the closest Walmart 30 minutes away in Decatur. It had gotten dark before we left the store, and we were on a farm road on our way home when he told me there was a man running beside the car. He again described a long-legged, all-black figure running at speed with our vehicle beside us. This time... The man was jumping over the barbed wire fences and the cow pastures beside the roads. Again, my son explained that he was a good ghost and just wanted in the car with us. 
I explained that we never invite anything in and rocketed at home where we parked in the yard directly in front of the front door. I was taking no chances if it followed us home. Yeah, Anna, that seems like a good plan. <laughs> Sunny Jim, there will be no ghosts in this car. No, no. And I, you know what? I think she's right about never invite anything in, never let anything in. Because the number of people who have very unwittingly, especially with Ouija boards, and then regret it later, ugh, too much. So, Well, think about the, the world at large. Think about the people who generally will come speak to you on the bus. Are they ever <laughs> the people you want to speak to you on the bus? And I'm no. sure they, uh, you know, show themselves as being nice too. Sure. Until they lick the side of your face. Oh, well, I mean, you're lucky if you get off there. You're lucky if they're not <laughs> that, twisting a knife in your side while they're doing that. Are you saying that gets you off? Is that what you just said? I make no promises that it doesn't. <laughs> Ask me no secrets, I'll tell you no lies. Okay, I will ask nothing. Thank you again for that story, Anna. Our final story of the night comes from Kim. I was listening to episode 8 from season 3 and hearing the story about Harold, the protective spirit, got me thinking about an experience I had when I was 14 years old. This is the first time I'm telling this story to anyone who isn't a family member. It's going to be a little long. I've never told a short story in my life. So here I go. Some background. My parents bought a home in rural Wisconsin, and like how it is in all small towns, everyone seems to know everyone. My parents knew the woman selling the home had recently lost her husband, Willard. He had built the home in the house next door, and just a few years later died suddenly of a heart attack in his basement workshop, leaving behind three devastated, grieving teenage daughters and a widow. By all accounts, he was a really decent man, kind, hardworking, and a good father. So when I was six, we moved into this home, and it did feel like home right away to me. In fact, I love this house. When my mother put it up for sale, I bought it. In total, I lived there for 33 years. After we moved in, things started happening pretty much right away. Items being moved, footsteps up and down the basement stairs, me reporting to my mom that the grandpa man would sit in the rocking chair in my room and sing funny songs to me when I couldn't sleep at night. Over the years, my two sisters were born, and strange things continued, witnessed by many friends and family. Good on my parents, who just accepted it. Nothing really scary or threatening ever happened, so we just rolled with it. The activity seemed to center on us three girls and my mom. Not bad experiences, just unnerving at times. That feeling of always being watched, and there was someone who would come into our rooms at night and tuck us in. Like literally, you could feel someone tucking the blankets around you, but no one was there, at least that we could see. Our ghost was like a family inside joke. If some item was missing, just ask Willard to bring it back, please. Getting sick of the thud-thud on the basement stairs? Nicely tell Willard to take a break. But once, when I was 14, something happened to me that I've never forgotten. This is probably the singular occurrence in that house that I just can't shrug off, because I think our ghost may have saved my 14-year-old ass from true harm. I was home alone. My parents and sisters had gone to visit friends, and frankly, I just wanted the opportunity to eat junk food, watch whatever I wanted on television, and talk on the phone with friends without my parents or sisters mucking it up. Around 6 p.m., I fell asleep on the living room couch. This room was in the front of our house that faced the highway. This was somewhat a busy road. It connected our little town to a bigger town eight miles down the way. When I dozed off, it was light outside, and I had the TV on. This is when it gets weird. I did not simply wake up. I was jolted awake by someone. I remember feeling a slap on my face, and a man's voice was roaring, Get up, Kim. Get up now. I felt like someone had me by the front of my shirt and was shaking me. I sat straight up in pure panic. That voice was like a freight train in my head. I jumped up from the couch. It was now completely dark except for the glow from the television. 
and I had no idea why, but I was compelled to move fast to the front door of our house. I had gone to sleep with the front door open as it was summer and only the screen door was shut, but not locked. I felt like someone was shoving me from behind. It seemed so crazy, but I know what I felt. That voice was commanding me. I heard, move it girl, move, as I crossed the living room and got to the front door. It's like I was on autopilot. I managed to get to the screen door and lock it with a very flimsy screen door lock on my dad, right as a man walked up the last step and stood in front of me on the landing of our porch. He looked at me, and I looked at him. I registered that he looked surprised to see me standing right there. I flipped on the outside light, and he winced. He was bleeding. He looked like he'd been in a fight, or an accident. This whole time while we were both eyeballing each other, which was probably only a few seconds but felt like forever, I still had this freight train noise in my head and was so amped up I could barely think. He finally said, hey, which way to blank? I'm leaving the name of the town out for anonymity. He mispronounced the town's name as most people not from here do. I could not make my mouth form words, so I pointed down the road. He looked to be in his early 20s, dark short hair, black t-shirt and jeans, and we were locked in the strangest staring contest I'd ever been in. I glanced past his shoulder and saw another man standing in my driveway, just outside the circle of porch light. Then something happened. He broke the staring stalemate by reaching out and grabbing the screen door handle. I grabbed the inside door handle. Now we were staring at each other and having a tug of war with the door. That stupid, flimsy screen door lock was not much good. I heard a man's voice again, pissed off and thundering in my head. Tell him to get the fuck off our porch now. I screamed in his face through the screen. Get the fuck off our porch right now. Leave now. I'm generally a loud person, but even I was shocked at the volume of my voice. He visibly recoiled and let go of the door handle and slowly took a step down from the landing, looking at me the entire time. As soon as he took another step down the stairs, I slammed the front door closed and deadbolted it. I ran to the phone and called my friend who had an older sister who could drive to my house. They lived about five minutes away. I can't believe in that moment I did not think to call the police, but I didn't. Adult me would have the cops on the phone in a heartbeat. I don't know what those men wanted, but my gut tells me it was nothing good or as innocent as needing directions. My friend and her sister left their house immediately, but said they saw no one on the road while they were driving. This is a rural, touristy area think lakes everywhere, of northern Wisconsin with a couple campgrounds and many backroads between our house and theirs. Who knows who these guys were or where they had come from. All I know is I never saw the guy who had been at my door again. Here's what I think. Our ghost got me moving to that door and never left me while the confrontation took place. I don't believe it sometimes myself. There are many times I've wondered if my subconscious mind knew something and I was able to wake myself up or if it really was our ghost. But either way, I am perfectly happy to give Willard the credit, and I will always be thankful. This story really, really, really got to me. There's something about that transition between daytime and nighttime. Mm, mm -hmm. When you fall asleep, because I obviously, when I lived in Revelstoke, you know, I, I lived in a house, I owned a house, and I had a screen door, and I would do that. You know, I would fall asleep with a screen door open, and it's the same situation. And you feel so safe, but at the same time, once things tip over, you realize you're not. Right. Yeah. And anyone can come in and it, it's it's such a flimsy thing, you know, and, and there's some kind of sense of being a menace alone in this place that's technically your castle. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so vulnerable. Completely. I mean, look at it. We use thin sheets of 
clear breakable substance to keep people out. Are you kidding yeah, me right now? Exactly. Are you kidding me right now? There, you, you, we have the illusion of security, honestly. Well, I wonder that sometimes when I think about even even our door in our apartment, you know, it's not a very thick door. No. And, and you know, I'm locked, put on the deadbolt and the chain lock and I go to bed and I think, oh, I'm safe. But really, there's nothing, no. nothing keeping a determined no. person from it. No, no, no. Don't fool yourself. <laughs> Sorry for all the people listening to this alone at night in their yeah. houses. Yeah, no, here's, here's something new to worry about. <laughs> you're never truly safe. Well, that's a terrifying thought. Thank you, Ian. Thank you you're, for driving you're that welcome. home. You're welcome. Well, hopefully everyone has their own Willard and not the <laughs> guy who breathes rats. No. <laughs> so thank you again for that story, Kim. And thank you to everyone who sent in their stories for this episode. We love reading them. We love being able to tell them on air. If you have a story you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is the way to do it. You can also send it in via the ghost line, which we'll talk about in the C segment. We'll be right back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Luke Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We couldn't do it without you guys. First up, we have our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are Jennifer D. Benke, Lori Klein, Jeremy Costa, Bearded Mech, Victoria Scott, Sarah Evans, and Michelle Ford. Thank you so much for your support, everyone. Again, we can't tell you what it means to us, especially now. It uh, just it helps pay the bills, helps me uh, pay my rent, and means the world to us. So it really thank you does. So, yeah. so much. And you bought us dinner tonight. Yes, so, exactly. Thank you and, for feeding us. And we'd also like to say thank you to Gina, who very generously sent us a one-time pledge on PayPal. And that is an option. If you don't want to become a monthly patron through Patreon, you just want to send us a one-time pledge, you can send that via PayPal to ghostoryguys at gmail.com. And if you do want to become a patron, patreon.com slash ghostoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghostoryguys. We have tiers at the one five, ten, twenty, and fifty dollar levels. Get to access to all kinds of cool stuff, like exclusive cabin fever episodes, which run anywhere from thirty to sixty minutes. It's just me and Ian talking about all the social stuff that doesn't fit into the main show anymore. <laughs> You also get early access to Luke's Luke Lore podcast, which is a monthly deep dive into the folklore topic of his choosing. At the $10 level and up, you get access to our monthly live show, which is, uh, again, now a group stream and has been a lot of fun. We're, we're sort of slowly seeing that evolve into a much more entertaining show. There are also physical rewards, which are now being mailed out. I've sent out uh, enough and hopefully more <laughs> to come. But yes, you get stickers designed by Canadian artist Wanda Fraser, you also get signed art cards of My Night Photography, and of course, Ian's smash hit, Christian country album, Aware of Wonder. Will haunt me for life. It truly will. <laughs> and you can listen to it in all its high-definition glory via a digital download once you sign up as a patron at the $20 level. 
for more information and to sign up, head on over to patreon.com slash guys. And again, if you don't want to become a patron, you want to send a one-time uh, one-time donation, send that via PayPal to ghostoryguys at gmail.com. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. Of course, we'd like to thank everyone who reaches out. We love hearing from you with your comments, your questions, your gentle criticisms. We love hearing it all. And if you want to get a hold of us, the best way to do it is send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. And we'd like to thank the people who did that this time around. They are Christy, Debbie, Mark, Victoria, Lori, Jennifer, Chris, Phoebe, Bob, Rin, Paige, Rosemarie, Elizabeth, Rachel, Nicole, Bree, Brandy, Catherine, Bryce. Thanks so much for reaching out, guys. Again, we love hearing it from you. We love knowing you're out there, especially right now. We've seen a little bit of a downturn in our numbers with, uh, with Turducken, and I assume it's because people don't want to dwell too much on the, the uh, possibility of the next world. So it's really nice to know that you're out there and still listening to the show and knowing what you think. It means the world to us. And if you can, uh, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Mm-hmm. That uh, helps bump the show. It just helps increase our ratings and get more eyes on it. We certainly appreciate that. Again, if you want to get in touch, send us an email at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. That's the best place to send your personal stories. Definitely. Because, yeah, it's just easy to keep track of them. But if you want to get in touch in other ways, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. Twitter at twitter.com slash ghoststoryguys. Sarah is the administrator of that. Make sure to go over there and say hi. We're also on Instagram at instagram.com slash the ghoststoryguys. And we have a pretty banging meme account, if I do say so myself. <laughs> the other option, if you have a story for us, is, of course... The ghost line. There's something strange in your neighborhood. We're gonna call Ghost Line. Call one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh. That's one triple eight five eight eight six nine two oh is a number to call if you want to leave your story as one or a series of voicemails. And if you don't want to call, you can text us your story or text us your message. Text us your well wishes. We won't text back, but we may read the message on the show. And you can text that at 925-553-4789. And that's if you want to text us. Again, that's 925-553-4789. That's U.S. number. Just be aware if you're texting us from outside the U.S., you may have an international texting charge depending on your carrier. But that is the number for the ghost line. And I forgot to mention, thank you so much to our listener, Amber Pease, who is responsible for that lovely theme song. We did have a, a great message on via the ghost line from Mark, who's a patron of ours. And he was telling us that he played your uh, your record in the background of a family Zoom call. And his, <laughs> his grandmother has fallen in love with you. So, Of course. Always big with the older <laughs> ladies. <laughs> Ian Gibbs knocking him dead even over teleconference. <laughs> so thanks, Mark, for telling us that. If you want to pick up any Ghost Story Guys gear, head on over to ghoststoryguys.redbubble.com. We have all kinds of stuff over there. Uh, they've actually just added pins and masks. Very uh, which, cool. Yeah, the masks, I think, are backward quite a ways. So, you know, don't expect them right away if that's something you end up ordering. But uh, the pins are shipping immediately. And they're on the pricey side, but I think the quality is good. Uh, we are we haven't uh, we haven't gotten any yet, but I have some on the way, so we'll be able to vet the quality of those. And we are also opening a T Public store, but uh, it's just not ready yet. 
I haven't had a chance to tweak the designs. And so I think we'll really properly announce that on our next show because we'll be running a, a, a bit of a sale to celebrate right. the opening of the Tate That's Public right. Store. That's right. And if you want to pick up signed copies of our books, art cards with my night photography, or pins from us, you can get those at ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. As far as upcoming things, the world is still on pause. So the only new thing uh, that I've got going on is, of course, the spot I did on Real Life Ghost Stories with Dan and Emma. I believe that was a patron-only show, so you only get that if you're a member of their patron campaign. But that was an hour-long chat with them, and I had a lot of fun. And hopefully you get a chance to do something a little more with those guys at some point in the future. Our musical guest on this show, of course, was Chris Amott with the track Nightbirds. Nightbirds is exclusive to this show, but you can find the rest of his stuff, including his brand new synthwave album, Electric Twilight, at chrisamott.bandcamp.com. You can also find it everywhere you stream your music. Chris moved out of New York just in time. He's now living over in Sweden. <laughs> Good plan. Yeah, although I'm, they've got a whole other I know. process for dealing with Trudeckin, so I'm not so sure, but I he's know. doing all right, so that's, that's the important thing. Our theme song, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find more from him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram everywhere you stream your music. That's Hexagram with two X's, not three. And of course, also at hexagram.bandcamp.com. And if you're into the music we play on the show and you want to hear a little bit more, we're starting a feature over on our Instagram account where we have a featured artist of the week in our stories. And that's just something we're doing to try and boost the work of artists we enjoy. And again, that's at Instagram.com slash guys. And I guess that's going to do it. I think so. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go. I know, I know. That's why I said it, though. So yeah, I'm not really a Gilmore uh, Girls guy. Yeah, that does not surprise me. Always a pleasure. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> take the shot. Take the shot. Full on, but donk it, donk it. Damn, son. Damn it, Ian. You just can't keep throwing weasels at all your problems. <laughs> yeah. Mommy, why are those two grown men calling each other bitch? <laughs> <laughs> That's a street fight with real men. That's a podcasting street fight. <laughs> Now for my story of sexual no, awakening. No, no, we're done with that now. You've killed it. <laughs> Disappointing. <laughs> Standing genitals down. <laughs> All right, I'm going to mute myself. Thank God. <laughs> Don't get used to it. <laughs>